0: Your Life is Too Short and Too Precious to Waste. Written and narrated by New York Times bestseller, Kathy Lee Gifford. Available now everywhere you get audiobooks.
1: Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Truce Podcast. This is the show that uses journalistic tools to look inside the Christian church. We press pause in the culture wars in order to explore how we got here and how we can do better. And we're doing something I really don't think I've done on the show before, which is to have a roundtable discussion with a group of friends because the first five episodes of season five have been pretty dense and pretty heavy. So I just, I thought I'd invite some of the guys that mean a lot to me in my life and have a conversation here. Um, so just to go around, I've got Ray McDaniel, who's pastor of First Baptist Church in yes, sir. Thank you. Jackson, Wyoming. I've got Nick Steren, who's a stand-up comedian, improv comedian, brother extraordinaire. Oh uh, well, hello. Hello. <laughs>
2: Vocal actor for the Truths podcast, too. Don't forget that.
1: That's all these guys in some ways. Andy Pearson, who is here, is a good friend of mine. Uh, We have some very deep conversations. Probably the best red guy I know. Um, You should meet more people. (laughs) You should meet more people. Um, And so all these guys have heard the the same episodes y'all have heard, the first five episodes of season five. And I just thought we'd get together to talk about them. Uh, First of all, I was thinking... How has fundamentalism shaped your life personally?
3: I'm sure it has, but I can't really, I, don't, I can't put a place for it because most of my walk has been following guys like Ray who, who preach a Jesus that is having dinner with sinners and not judging them there,
2: just, just being with them. So most of my walk has been following people like that. I would say for me in the last few years, uh, I've just noticed it's like a ratchet strap where just people keep tightening that ratchet strap a little bit more, a couple more clips here and there. And so some of our relationships, uh, familial and then, you know, even just romantic relationships have been much more difficult because of that kind of tightening down uh, and that ratcheting on, on fundamentalism. So I, I'd say for me, like, it's actually been quite stressful the last few years to see that that tightening.
1: Well, which I find interesting because we grew up listening to fundamentalist radio and, and grew up with it. And so I, for theology for me for a number of years was just fundamentalist theology. Me too. I didn't know anything else. right? Um, so that was kind of the world I grew up in. And, and in some ways, it provided a lot of comfort and a lot of answers. And so that's one of the things that I think uh, has stuck out to me in this, working on this season, has been that uh, life is, is very complicated, especially <laughs> in, mod- in the modern world. You think about you know, just trying to be a competent adult, and oh, I've got to be able to pay my bills and I need to know where the DMV is and all the paperwork I need to fill out there and how to file taxes and how to get my kids to the sports and register there from, for school and all those things. So when it comes down to religion and, and, and Christianity, and if there are simple answers that I can have, uh, it makes life a little easier. You know, There's that comfort in these simple answers. And so I, I think it was kind of an interesting and not, not altogether bad way to grow up. It, it was just coming to be an adult and then meeting people who I've been told to be afraid of my whole life and then be like, wait a second, you aren't terrifying. <laughs> you don't actively hate me. And that, that was a real eye opener when we got to college and met people who were not only different than us, but also many who had never even heard the gospel before. And growing up listening to Fundamentalist Radio, it's like if you gr- grew up in the United States, you had either chosen Jesus or you had rejected him. There was no third option of like, maybe nobody ever told you. Mm-hmm. And so that that was a, a real shock for me. So it's uh, it's been interesting to see this resurgence. It's, it's almost uh, bringing us back uh, cyclically back to our beginnings.
4: I think finding your people is something that uh, human beings seek out. They want to know who, which group they belong to. Teenagers are looking for which group they belong to. They're trying on different personalities and things like that. And if you have a ready-made group, I mean, I've been in church since, you know, nine months before I was born and <laughs> I grew up in a, in a small rural town, like a town of less than 500 people. And our church was one of five in that town, 500 people, one of five. And it was very much uh, fundamental, dispensational, premillennial, and it had all of those things that, that you've been talking about in this season. And so I think back on my, my walk or my—I've um, mentioned this in church one time before—I think about my time in my childhood, and I, we were a part of the, a, an association of little Southern Baptist churches— And we played softball against those other churches. And I had a hard time believing that West End Baptist Church was Christian at all, because they could not really be Christian if they acted like that on a softball team. Now, we were (laughs) on the same softball field. And the arguments and everything else that was going on together, my team was my little church. It was just my little church. And I think that a senior pastor has more influence (laughs) than, than anything else. In a lot of cases, and so for me, that was true. I love the guy. I still love the guy. He's actually back at that little church. Love him dearly. Um, but his theology became my theology, just because that's where I was receiving all that was going in. Everything it was from the song service, which we had the <laughs> the late great Planet Earth songbook. It was part of our repertoire. And songs like "Your Redemption Draweth Nigh," you know, if back then it seemed so real, then I just can't help but feel how much closer has coming is today.
1: Boy, can you just mention for those of us who don't know what was the Great Late Planet Earth?
4: Oh, the Late Great Planet Earth was Hal Lindsey. Hal Lindsay, how Lindsay. yeah, Hal Lindsay. and it was it was uh, it was kind of left behind before Left Behind. It was that sort of thing. But I remember our whole church going to Lagrange, Georgia to watch the late great planet Earth on a Sunday evening instead of having Sunday night church was the biggest thing that had ever happened. You know, biggest, strangest thing that had ever happened. And then, yeah, that movie was big and strange. But it was it was very much from that one perspective, premillennial, dispensational, this is the way it's gonna go down. And there were, you know, images of tanks and everything else. It was it was um it was very, very real. It was a very real part of what the milieu, I guess, where where I was raised. That was that was the only Christianity that I had ever been exposed to.
1: I, I should say that I, I, in making these episodes, was really concerned about talking about premillennialist dispensationalism because I don't want to sound like I'm attacking, right? Uh, but mostly just to demonstrate that there's this sort of negative bent towards history and, and this idea. That everything's going to go down so pretty bad. So Mm -hmm. we may as well just divest in some ways and let it burn. Like I was saying in the the one episode, I was, again, concerned about bringing up John MacArthur for various reasons, because he has a big following and I don't want to just willy-nilly offend people. But that idea that that we can just kind of poison people, we can just put whatever we want into the water and into the air, because you know it's all going to burn anyway is not really being a good neighbor.
4: Creation care is the is I think a proper response to consider that this is a creation we've been given and we should take care of it. That's that's creation care is the new term. Oh, I for, like that. For that, yeah, and which I think is a good response to the let it burn. Uh, that's not that's not good this podcast is like, why would he talk about Russia? Why would he talk about this? Why would he, there's that that starts it off and then you go, oh, our reaction has only been 50, 60, 70 years on that, right? Some of the things that are these deeply held things, we can't, they can't change this. And it's so aggravatingly political and we don't even realize that it's new, you know? And so you do a great job of pointing that out. Sometimes it's a slow burn. I'll have to give it to you. It's It takes a while to get there but then it kind of unmoors the things. It it cuts us loose from some of the things that we really shouldn't be tied to. And I, it's really important. It's important to say, you know, this is Christ, and this is following Christ, and then these extra added things that have been added on here, that's not, that's not really following Christ. That's, in some cases, it's being manipulated. And I think that that's what you're pointing out. And you do a really good job of that. The, I, I think in some ways you hand, hand it back to the listener and say, kind of you have to figure out how to go forward and do better, right? Don't tie yourself to things that are not Christ. Let other allegiances fall aside.
1: Well, one of the things that uh, has been coming back to me in my own thoughts has been the reality that, especially in season three and then here in season five, the threats have been real, which is is I think important to say communism and socialism were and are real threats globally. And so in season three, that fear of communism and socialism that caused us to do a whole bunch of wacky and wonderful things um, it, it was a legitimate it was a response to a legitimate fear and and one of the interesting things about episode uh, what is it five the liberals there there was a, a real Issue with people pulling out the miraculous of Jesus's life, or pulling out the resurrection, or saying he didn't actually die on a cross—that is a real threat. Right. So part of the 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 task of a, a Christian is to be able to say there is a real credible threat, and that threat is X. Mm-hmm. How do I react? And and I think that's going to be one of the big themes of this season: is um, fundamentalism is a reaction to modernism. Mm-hmm. So, what will our reaction as listeners be to fundamentalism? Mm -hmm. And and will it be creating a whole new movement where we synthesize everything and systematize it and put it in a book and tie it in a bow? (laughs) And and then we can say those people are bad and we're good. If that's what we walk away with, we have completely failed. Mm -hmm. Uh, What we should be doing is calling all people back to Christ and not to our movement. Amen. Uh, Which is funny because (laughs) every Christian podcast well, any, any, any media thing you go to, because we've, we've been to um, film conferences and media conferences, they all talk about forming a movement. And if, if, if I can be a success at all, I can tell you, truth should not be a movement. <laughs> like this show, I have failed you if, the, if we start a new movement. The, 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 the goal should always be just bring people back to Jesus. You don't need all the other filigree um, that's in, involved, even though it's comfortable.
4: Uh, something you've already touched on here is it's hard to it's hard to hold nuance. It's hard to hold two things that aren't the same right at the same time, and you, how comfortable you are with ambiguity to answer all the questions. Like let's say the dispensationalist have studied the Bible. It's a very very good. It keeps scripture on a very high plane, and it considers that God has spoken, and we should listen to what He has said. Now, in some ways. He has spoken. We should listen to what he says, and we start putting things together that were contextually never meant to be together. Probably, but answering all the questions to to get to a ready made setup, a ready made answer, and go, okay, everything is here. Now let's see if we can fit all the pieces together in just the right way, and then proclaim that this is the right way to see this. You know, it's also. Something to do with nuance here. We want for the peop- the outsiders to be monolithic. You know what I mean? If in my little group, and in yours it sounds like too, you had people who were not believers had already rejected Christ, right? And you want to be able to understand them. And in a lot of ways, demonization or vilifying the other is what it came to be about. I don't, I don't think that that's a good thing at all. Uh, but when you consider the nuance is hard to hold, it's hard to s- differentiate. I think it's good that you chose Mister Fundamentalist, who wasn't a fundamentalist, right? He got that nickname from people making fun of him, most likely. Do you don't think so?
1: I haven't gotten there yet.
4: <laughs> <laughs> I haven't either. I've only listened to five episodes. Oh, okay, so-
1: and <laughs> the research I haven't got. I, I I I don't know where the name came from, but he 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 enjoyed it. Um, well, because the term Mister Fundamentalist or fundamental didn't exist until 1920, and he died in 1925, so it's not like he could have it for very long. So, anyway, we'll, we'll get to that, that death part. But uh, I want to touch on what Ray just brought up and ask you guys what, what is the role of sort of ambiguity
3: in your belief system? I'm, I'm totally comfortable with ambiguity. I'm, the more I read history, the more I realize that having a hard and fast on anything is just going to bite you later on. I mean, it's easy to, to take things out and make them black and white, but when you actually look at what was going on in the whole system and the time frame and stuff, I mean, I'm just listening to a thing now on Pontius Pilate, when you see the whole backstory for him and for the history that was happening around him, suddenly you get to understand why someone would make that decision as opposed to just setting him out saying, he was bad, he goes over here. There's a lot of, there's a lot of things going on in his life That led him to those decisions with Christ. And the same thing goes on for any piece of history. It's so easy to just pick a good side and a bad side. When in reality, it's probably just a lot of... History is made up of people. And if people are like me, they're a mess. And so I have to look forwards and back, assuming that the people there are going to be just like me. And they're making good decisions, bad decisions, right and left. They're not good or bad.
1: And I should say that there are a lot of things in the Bible that I would say all of us agree are clear, black and white, Jesus for sure. died for our yes. sins, he was an actual guy, those kinds of things. I'm not saying like, go ahead and you know, incorporate as many religions into your belief system as you want to, that kind of ambiguity, but that there are, there are different things within the Bible.
4: There's there are some things that are know. mystery, right? Yeah. Uh, I remember particularly a test in seminary where they ask, what is the order of salvation? The Ordo Salutis, what is it?
1: Which, uh, to those who may not know, what, what do you mean by order of salvation?
4: Well, it, the Ordo Salutis in Latin it means the order of salvation. Like, what is the process for someone to go from someone who is an, an outsider, unbeliever, lost person, to being a part of the family of God, a saved person, right? Terminology that's been used for many years, Um And what is the order of that salvation? And in study and in scripture, trying to come up with it, I had to come up with a paragraph of what I believed and references for all of the places why I said that. And I finally got to the point of extreme frustration and said, it's a mystery. I see it in various places in the New Testament, in the book of Acts. I see this and pointed out all these different places, but it seemed to be different in each case. In a lot of cases, it was... Repent and believe the gospel and you will be saved. Okay, repent is part of it. How do you do that? How do you come to the place of knowing that you need to? Is there a drawing involved? Yeah, God draws you. Is it always the same? Well, Saul was knocked off of his high horse, right? And it looked like he was intending to do exactly the opposite. He's going to persecute the people, the church, followers of the way. And then when he meets Jesus, it's, why are you persecuting me? Right, that seems like wait a second. He didn't. He didn't seem to repent. He got knocked down. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. Well, I think it's a mystery that God does deal with us individually, and there are some things that are absolutely true, and there's no doubt about it. It's black and white, surely. But there's still some mystery there, and how he would, uh, how he would go about things so individually. I think it's interesting too that Jesus never healed him. Almost never. Not he. He healed people lots of different ways. And it was it's always strange. It's always different. And I think that he, the way he deals with people from afar, close up, with a touch, with a word, it was all these different things. And and we tend to want to institutionalize things and make them exactly this is the way we do this. And he didn't seem to be terribly concerned about that. <laughs> Doing him the same way each time. Sorry, Nick. No, nothing to be sorry about.
2: Yeah. Th- that leads me to two parts about faith for ambiguity. Uh, first one is uh, actually uh, Chris and I are school bus drivers. I'm only uh, part-time now, but one of the things they teach you when you're school bus driving is to focus on something that's rock solid far out in the distance. And if you go into a tailspin or you hit some ice or something like that, steer towards that thing. And it's that immovable object that you steer towards always. And um, when we start getting nitpicky and um, these little things, and we try to nail down everything we can't nail down, it's like driving but looking three feet out in front of you on the road. Every little distraction—if you try to steer towards that thing—you're gonna you're gonna spin off and go into a snowbank, which we know a lot about here in Wyoming. Uh, but if you if you keep focusing, especially Nick, I will say uh, I did I did scratch a bus pretty bad once. <laughs> oh, <Christ. laughs> let's let's I get that on the record, record yeah, for okay. sure. That's good to know. But but <laughs> but if we if we keep focused on Jesus and we don't get distracted. Distracted by little things, and, and actually feel like Christianity is distracted right now, or we're not able to do what we're supposed to, because our m- message and our mission never changes. Uh, whether we're at war, whether somebody else is at war, whether space aliens are coming down, or, or there's an earthquake, who knows? Like, our mission is to seek and save the lost and and to uh, uh, preach Christ to everybody and to love our neighbors. That never changes. And if we just focus on that way out in the distance, then, then we'll keep going forward and the other part, it comes down to Job, too. There's a lot of things that at the end of Job, when Job is crying out to the Lord, the Lord says to him, like, where were you when I invented the heavens? And, you know, do you know where I keep the storehouses of ice and snow and all these things? And like, I think that's a valuable lesson for us as Christians is there's a lot that's built in that we don't know. And that's that's like way Old Testament stuff. Like that's that's a part of it. Getting to know the character of God and what he does uh, is, is a part of what we're supposed to do. But we're not going to know the whys and hows. Of everything like that that's where the faith has to come in we'll be back with more of our conversation after these messages
0: this episode is brought to you in part by thomas nelson publisher of nine lives and county a bounty hunter's journey to faith hope and redemption
1: One of the, the the fascinating parts when when beginning learning about all this stuff over a, like a year and a half ago when I started researching this season was this idea that post millennialism was the premier way of thinking right up until right about World War One, which is kind of unbelievable. We've only been like as as Americans, we've really only been pre millennialists for just over a hundred years, and and there were pre millennialists before that, of course. But um, like you know, D.L. Moody preached; he was a pre millennialist. But it didn't really come in vogue until World War One, um, so it, it was kind of a shock to my system because I tend to believe—I've I fallen into the belief that it has always been like I think it has has been when it hasn't, and even dispensationalism was a sh- big shock to me to find out it's not even two hundred years old. Uh, it's not even one tenth of all Christian history. Dispensationalism has existed.
2: Andy, you look like you had something you wanted to
3: oh, say about yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was just when you when you were talking about. The, the time frame, I'm thinking so, and something that Ray just said, that we get bombarded. Well, you know, pre-World War I, we didn't have as good a communication setup. World War I, and that time frame brought a lot of communication changes that, that really allowed us to know, not just what our neighbor was doing, but what the guy across the country was doing, so that their tragedy became our tragedy mm-hmm. when, it, when it used to be that something could I mean, you could have a death in your family and not know for six months, eight months a year that someone very important to you had passed. So now we get it, get it constantly. It's very difficult for people to take that moment, to step out of the stream of all this information that's hitting them. Again, that's why I like history, because if, as you read it, you go, there's really nothing new under the sun. Mm-hmm. Everything's coming to an end, and then it doesn't. Sooner or later, someone's going to be right, and he's going to be right by luck. Some guy's going to say it's tomorrow. By golly, there he got it right. But we can't know, and we shouldn't live to know. We should be living to get your house in order, not because Jesus is coming tomorrow, but because he said get your house in order. Right. And once it's in order, then just live. Just don't worry about when he comes, you're ready.
1: That's a good word. Yeah. I, I would push back on <laughs> on the <Push>. journalism thing. <laughs> It's been very good for me because I, it, it seems very immediate, our news world. But if you read about the yellow journalism of the 1890s and William Randolph Hearst and all that, and I touch on it a little bit in the episode about the Spanish-American War. Absolutely. Um, these Most of these guys haven't heard. It was also very prevalent back then when these large corporations were running newspapers and people were getting their information from newspapers. And depending on what party they were affiliated with, that's the way that the news was presented. Mm-hmm. Uh, And so there are actually some people who would argue that the Spanish-American War was started by William Randolph Hearst. I don't agree with that, but because they were pushing the war so much because it would be good for paper sales. Hmm. Um, I I don't think that's true, but there are are folks who argue that. So it it is not new that we have an onslaught of news. Uh, It's just that sort of in, in the cycle of history, it comes in these waves where it goes from being you know, good and reliable, and to being, well, we can't really trust much of this.
3: I'm just going to throw up the devil's advocate here. Yeah. Has it ever been good
1: and reliable? Well, it was better. I mean, people would hold up like the Edward R. Murrow era where
3: Murrow was better. (laughs) Better, but it's never been good. I mean, for me, one of the eye-opening moments for me with journalism was to recognize that their job wasn't to tell me a story. Their job was to sell me an ad. Right. And once I got that, it allowed me to read the paper and watch the news in a much different way to understand that this is their job to get me to come here yeah. once i realize that then i don't then i can choose better i one of my little things challenges i've
1: had <laughs> i wanted to bring to andy is i want him to report anything like make a news report about anything <laughs> and then we can talk about bias because having done their show it's really very difficult yeah. Mm-hmm. to present any kind of message at all, uh, to open your mouth and not, not display incredible bias.
4: With, with naming, the, naming the thing truce and saying <laughs> pressing pause on the culture wars is a brave thing to do. Yeah. It's a very, very courageous thing to do. And I applaud you for it. But if there are people who are admittedly on the left, you're going to look very conservative. Yeah. And if there are people that are admittedly on the right, you're going to look like a bleeding heart liberal. I can't believe anybody would listen to this guy. And that's, your, that's the danger of being the peacemaker and trying to say, wait a second, we have gotten off track. And we've gotten so polarized that we can't have a conversation. I think that it's time for denominationalism to die. I think that that's the case. I think if Jesus prayed for unity in the garden, he really wants us to be unified. (laughs) I think that that's something that's very real and very close to the heart of God. And if we cannot find our unity in Christ, then there's a problem. It shows fissures that are cultural and political rather than Christian. And so I love what you're doing. I've loved every season of it. I think that it's fantastic, and I, I think it's a bold move. I know because I try to just say what it says. I have a very high opinion of Scripture, but I've been too exposed. I've been now exposed to enough different systematic theologies. You know, the dispensational versus Reformed, Arminian, Calvinist hyper forms of both. All of these things, I, I do trust what the Bible has to say, and I think that if we're pressing pause on the culture wars, <laughs> which I think is beautiful, and we examine the evidence, we know that Scripture is here to stay. Uh, if we examine that and we present it for what it says, I believe that God is then able to do exactly with it what He wants to do with it. So that's that's where I come down on this, and I think, hmm, maybe a lot when I hear something coming from a specific systematic theology. But when I hear Scripture, I go, how do I I deal with this? Before Almighty God, how do I take this passage where he's presenting a proud Pharisee and a humble, contrite woman? How do I take this for me personally today, right now? And I think that that gets down to... um, the heart. And we're either going to respond in pride or humility. God opposes the proud and He gives grace to the humble. So any proud statement of, I have this right, all the rest of the people that came before me were fools. Yeah, that's, that's putting yourself in a bad position because God opposes the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. And so if you can take the text in humility, submitting your own will to the will of God, then I think that I think that he will direct. He says that he will. I believe he will. So let's do that. Can I bunny trail for a second?
3: (laughs) When you said to get rid of denominationalism, my brain just lit up. And I was thinking, okay, what does that look like? (laughs) What what do we look like if we don't have, as you said, the group? What do we look like? Christians. (laughs)
2: time.
3: (laughs) That just sounds amazing.
1: Well, if I could be devil's advocate for a second. Uh, We're coming up on some episodes talking about D.L. Moody, who was uh, probably the the most famous person in his day, as far as evangelism, as far as Christianity goes, uh, died at the tail end of the 1800s, big powerful force, built schools, hospitals, uh, eventually a radio network that came later. Uh, publishing house, all these kinds of things.
4: Seminary.
1: Seminary. Uh, A bunch of his lieutenants, the guys that kind of were in his orbit, are the guys who created the fundamentalist movement. Uh, Moody was not a fundamentalist himself, but he platformed, if you will, to use a modern term, a bunch of the guys who would spark the fundamentalist movement. One of the things I try to argue in that is that uh, these guys created their own kind of fiefdoms, their own little... Kingdoms within Christianity, and then they could go to battle with each other and fight for things and and have their own little ecosystem where they didn't need anybody else outside of their ecosystem. The the benefit of a denomination, if I can say, is that it had there can be repercussions on a ministry that is misbehaving. Mm-hmm. The American way of doing things pulls out accountability. Mm-hmm. Um, even in the show, I, I do have, you know, all y'all listen to it and and Nick especially has to deal with me. Yammering on all the time in the kitchen about the episodes as I'm figuring. it's only
2: out. a little bit of missed sleep It's
1: not a, <laughs> not a big deal But uh, you know, I there is very little accountability even for this show uh, so I think one of the things that uh, I I I look for, you know in denominations is like okay. Well at least sometimes they can provide accountability
4: but but it's accountability based on Ready-made answers. This is the way we answer these questions and so we decide in committee that this is the way that we answer these questions and behaving badly is when you don't answer the questions the same way. I feel like we're we're aiming at the center of the target and we may tend we may have a tendency to pull to the right and down, you know. And so there is another set, there's another believer that we're called to be unified with that pulls left and up. And we're still aiming for the center. If we compartmentalize and we put ourselves into denominations, if we separate ourselves I believe that it's almost a, um, it's something that God has allowed so that we can get along.
2: Essentially, I think what you're trying to say is we need to pull each other back into the center, right? And if we and if we compartmentalize ourselves, and we're missing out on that other person who's our other half that's supposed that's to right. pull us back into that.
4: Center. I agree. Yes, I think right. that that's the case. Yeah.
1: Oh, I got you. So you see, uh, would say the denominations a part of the problem is that we hold ourselves up with people who. Think like we do, yes. and then we bicker amongst ourselves, right? Oh, okay, gotcha.
4: and then we split again. So, <laughs> right. I mean, thinking about okay, what we're this is a this is a Baptist church, right? So it's a Protestant church. Okay, there's a protest is our beginning, you know. So we start with protest, and then we're Americans. We start with revolution. It's just one thing after another, and the splintering is so natural. Like you said, the authority over us. Well, God's my authority. He he is. You're right. But he's also called you to get along. He's also called you to be unified in the faith. And so if that's the case, it's worth it to get in there and hash it out. You know, ecumenical was a really dirty word (laughs) where I grew up. It's like, ecumenical? Why would anybody do that?
1: Uh, Can you explain ecumenicalism?
4: It is when we would go as you know, this is a Baptist church. So we go Baptist church and the Presbyterian church and the Methodist church and ooh, the Catholic church all get together. And we get together for a common purpose. Oh, ecumenical. I don't want to have anything to do with that. That was That was sort of the feeling. Why would you do that? That doesn't make any sense. They don't agree with us. That's the reason for doing it. That's the reason for going there is to go, you know what? We all can be working at the unity in the body of Christ. We can do that. This conversation may have gone a different direction than you expected it to. That's okay.
1: No, it's it's been a blessing, because I, I think that's one of the big things, I, the feedback I get from listeners is, okay, I you've told me about the history how do I deal with that? Yeah. Where do we go with it?
4: How do we get better? So your yeah. your tag is that um, we, we press pause. How
1: we got here and how we can do better. How yeah. we can do better. I, exactly. I'm pretty good at how we got here. Yeah. Um, but I, <laughs> how, how can we do better is, is the hard part.
4: For me, yeah. each time that I hear this, I go, yeah, we did. We got off track there. You know, When we're looking at history, it's like, wow, it's embarrassing that we got off track there. How did we do that? And how do I not do that tomorrow? You know, And I think that that's it. And I think there's a lot of fear in wanting to embrace the, the, the culture, but we don't want it. We're supposed to be separate. We're supposed to be peculiar. We're supposed to be apart from what has light to do with darkness. Yeah, but we have to love them. We have to really love them. We have to really care. If we love God and He says, love your neighbor, then we really do need to do that. And if you're not exposed to them at all, then it's hard to love them. It's, if, if you can vilify and demonize, it's hard to love them. You know, I, I think that he's calling us into a bold thing. The other thing, whenever you get separated into your denominations or even your small individual churches, if you start feeling like we're different from them, they're different from us, I don't want to go out. It's not just I don't want to go out because um, I don't know them. It's I don't want to go out because I don't want all these people that know me to know that I'm out there dealing with these people. Why do you think they were so upset at Jesus for having lunch with a tax collector or hanging out at a banquet with sinners? Why was he labeled a wine-bibber and a glutton? Right? Because he was he was actually getting out of his little group And he was pointing it out over and over that he was getting out of his little group. I think we should be doing it because we have received the love and forgiveness of God. We recognize that fact. It was grace that brought it upon us. It was not anything we had done ourselves. And so we should be acting mercifully and graciously and lovingly towards our community. I like what you said in one of the earlier episodes this season about we can't be a people about the ends. We have to be about the means. And the means is, really, it is the Great Commission that as you are going, right, go ye therefore, as you are going, be making disciples, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. It doesn't just say teaching. It says teaching them to obey all I've commanded you. The best way to do that is be obeying all that God has commanded of us. And so loving him is first and loving our neighbor is is just like that, Jesus says. It's that this it, it follows. Loving God means loving people, and so if that's the case, it's going to bring humility because we are not always loving, we're not always helpful, you know. And overall, if we keep looking down the line, I think Nick's right about that. Steering into the swerve, steering. No, don't, <laughs> you know, do that. Don't, don't do
1: that. <laughs> find that distant object and keep
2: your eyes yeah, on it.
4: Yeah. Yeah. The, Maybe I said it opposite from what I meant. But you know what I mean? Looking at that and aim towards Steer that. where you want to go. Steer where you want to go. Yeah. Exactly.
2: Yeah. Well, d- thank
1: you so much, everybody, for coming. Uh, we're going to hang out for the Patreon supporters who's going to have a little extra chat. So if, any, if you donate a little bit each month, you can hear special bonus conversations like what we're going to be having here. Uh, I want to thank everybody who came out tonight and just uh, uh, everybody just to the audience say thank you. And I want to hear from you. So if you want to write in, you can email me at trucepodcast at yahoo.com or uh, send me a message on uh, social media or however you want to do it. But thanks again to everybody. God bless you all. Keep doing the work of the Lord. And God willing, we'll talk again soon.
0: This episode was brought to you in part by The Table Podcast at Dallas Theological Seminary. Listen to rotating hosts discuss issues of God and culture to demonstrate theology's relevance in everyday life. Find it on your podcast app. For videos and more, visit dts.edu podcast.